Open your Bibles now to the fourth chapter of Paul's epistle to the Romans. Actually, the third chapter. And we'll read a little bit into the fourth chapter. Our reading today will be verses 27, chapter 3, verse 27, to chapter 4, verse 8. Hear now the word of the living God. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as also David, or just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, we do pray this morning. We thank you for your word. Your word is alive. It has feet. It runs after us. The word has hands. It lays hold of us. And so we pray today that you would lay hold of our hearts through the preaching of the word and that by the Holy Spirit operating in our souls, we will leave this place more impressed with Jesus than we've ever been in our lives. And because of that, we will leave with joy and rejoicing and great love for him. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, if you've been with us through the other services, I'm getting a little feedback, so I'm going to turn this monitor down. That helps. Good. Now, if you've been with us as we've been going through the epistle to the Romans, we have looked at a number of truths throughout the last three or four weeks. We looked at uh, what God has done because everything that could be wrong is wrong with our world. And in Romans 3 and 4, the Bible tells us exactly what God has done to put things right 
in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has done a great thing for all of us uh, who believe, who trust him. You can put it in a phrase, we're justified. That is, we are declared forever to be right with God, to have a relationship with him based upon not what we do, but what one has done in our stead or in our place. We are forever justified by faith, that is looking outside of ourselves, in the blood of Jesus Christ, referring to his work on the cross of both redemption through his blood and also propitiation, or that is satisfying God's righteous wrath against sin. And so Romans has told us that so far. We've looked at justification. We look now at one of those terms in the Bible that is often difficult to define, but you know it when you see it, and that word is called faith. What is faith? What is this saving faith that connects us in an organic living relationship with the person of Christ? What is this saving faith that connects us to God? And notice that Paul twice in this passage that I read to you contrasts the concept of boasting and faith. He tries to throw faith into relief uh, and tell us what saving faith is by contrasting it with the idea of boasting. And so there are three things that are going to concern us today and draw our attention. And the first one is the spiritual disorder of boasting. Everybody sitting in a seat in this room has a spiritual disorder called boasting. And you say, well, Pastor Tim, you don't know me. I'm a very humble person. I bet you're real proud of that too. But everybody has a spiritual disorder called boasting. I have it, you have it, everybody's got it. And the cure for this disorder, or the antidote for this order, disorder, I'm going to tell you ahead of time, is saving faith. And then finally, how we take, or what it means to take the cure. What does that look like? Uh, what does it ab ab involve us doing if we do anything at all? And so the disorder that we are facing here this morning is called boasting. And you can look in the uh, first page of your bulletin where we have Jeremiah 23 uh, spelled out for us. Excuse me, Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. Listen to these verses. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And so we see the word boast used in Jeremiah here. Do you know that the Hebrew word for boast is the Hebrew word hallel? Now, where do we use the word hallel? We say hallelujah what? Yah. Yah is Yahweh, the covenant name of God uh, that we see revealed in the Old Testament. 
Uh, Yahweh is a, a form of the verb to be. Uh, we, God revealed that name to Moses at the burning bush. But hallelujah uh, generally means to boast in Yahweh, not in yourself, but rather to boast not in what you've accomplished, not in what you've achieved, not in what you think your identity is, but to boast in the Lord. And so we're going to try to shake down together what this concept of boasting is because it's not necessarily what you would naturally think upon your initial review. Paul has presented us with a dazzling explanation of the gospel, but what lesson do we draw? Boasting, according to verse 27, is excluded. The word boasting literally comes in the ancient world from the battlefield. And boasting is when the, uh, in a battle, let's uh, think of the early Anglo-Saxons, perhaps the Vikings, perhaps other armies across the globe. When they got ready to go in warfare, they had to have a ritual boast. And that ritual boast involved them coming together and getting fired up. Because how do you get people who are part of your army to charge ahead and fight with all their might when they all know the chances are they'll be killed immediately. So how do you get them charged up to do that? Well, you would engage in this ritual boast. I'm thinking of like William Wallace and Braveheart here. That's one of my favorite concepts with, behind this. But it's the idea of talking the enemy and what you're going to do to their king. Perhaps you would say, we're going to serve the king's platter on our feast tonight, his head on a platter. And we're going to destroy them and we're going to wipe the floor with them and we're going to slaughter them and drive them far away. And so everybody would go, yay! And go, arg And get ready. And they'd brandish their swords and they'd get ready to charge. That's where the original term, boasting, gets its view. It was a ritual done before a battle to get the warriors ready to fight, and it was to give them confidence in danger, and so they would boast in what their advantages were. Now, the boasting concept, boast is... Uh, uh, true of every single human being. Remember in the book of Judges, Gideon was told by the Lord to take the Midianites, and he developed the strategy for that, and Gideon pulled together a pretty good-sized army, and God says, no, Gideon, that's too many people. He says this literally to, to Gideon. I want you to reduce the size of your army because I know what you will do. You will come back and say your hand delivered you from the fight against the Midianites rather than my hand. And so I want to eliminate your army down to 300 men. And so God detests, resists, and hates boasting. Too many people. You will boast in yourself as if your own hand delivered you. And so when we boast as people, we look at ourselves and discover things about ourselves that we think give us an edge, that we think make us who we are, our identity, to give us some kind of advantage. For example, we may say, 
I'm a beautiful person. Look at my beauty. It's amazing. Now, you may not say that out loud, but you think it. Or your intelligence or your smarts. I'm the smartest person in the room. Or your achievements. I did that. I deserve credit for that. That makes me who I am. Rather than seeing them as gifts from God, the nature of the human heart is to boast in it. Every single soul in this building makes its boast in something, whether it be things like money, athletic prowess, intelligence, degrees, beauty, glory. We all make our boast in that. Let me give you an illustration of how this works. Let's say that I'm a single young man and I was when I saw my wife for the first time, and I thought, that is a beautiful woman. And if I can get her to like me, then that is going to mean, at least to me, that I have a lot of good qualities, that I'm somebody. She's so beautiful, it makes me feel so good that she would look at somebody like me and even speak to him and spend time with him. And so then when I get her, I start boasting of the fact I must be something else because she's something else. And if she's going to spend her life with me, well, that makes me somebody. So we're talking about identity here, subtle way of developing and building our identity. It feels good to do this. That is why I think to myself, I'm worthy of praise. That is why I should have applause. That is why I should have accolades. This is my significance and my value. This is mine. The world is a battlefield which is always challenging us in what we boast in. Now, when you boast in what gives you confidence or what you boast in gives you confidence to go out and face the day. Um, it is the thing of which you say, I am somebody because I have this. I can beat what comes against me today because I am this. What you boast in is what fundamentally defines you as a person. It is where you draw your identity and where you draw your sense of esteem or worth from. Now, in the gospel, boasting is absolutely excluded. Why? A great way to understand what Paul means is to look at his own experience. And if you want to turn over to Philippians 3, this would be a good time to do it. Because Paul understood boasting in a very personal way. In Philippians 3, Paul says this, beginning in verse 5. Or let's, let's go up to the latter part of verse or verse 4, though I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, a tribe of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And so Paul spells out everything he could boast in as an individual that should recommend him not only to the Lord, but also to you. He's a serious player. He's a heavyweight. He's a pro. And so you should listen to him. You should do what he says because of all these credentials that he brought to the table. And so he says all these things 
But that is some list. It includes family pedigree, racial background, professional and educational attainments, religiosity and morality. But then he says, I consider them scubala. Now scubala can be rubbish, it can be garbage, or it can be feces. But Paul says, once I met Christ and saw who he was, everything that was in my list of virtues about myself became vices. Because those things that I counted on establishing my identity, making me a serious person, making me somebody worthy of attention, applause, praise, and approval, once I saw Christ, and once I understood the gospel, then all of that I understood for the first time was what was keeping me from Jesus. Our narcissistic little hearts are that which keep us from Jesus. And so Paul began to see it, and he said, I counted it as nothing. Let's go a little further in the text. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss. That's an accounting term. My debits became credits uh, for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so Paul says, all of those credentials that I brought to the table, everything that I expected to impress people about myself, when I finally saw and understood the gospel and saw Christ, I realized that they were not something that Christ could use and add to to make better, but rather something that's just garbage. It's rubbish. Why? Because it was all done by me, for me, for my name, for my glory, for myself. And it did not recommend, you see, we're not justified by Christ making up the difference between the righteousness I think I already have and the righteousness I need. Rather, we have no righteousness. We have none of that. We are actually naked coming to the table. We have nothing. And so boasting is excluded from the gospel. Let's continue this thought because there's more here that I'd like us to see. Then he says, I consider them as rubbish. He has no confidence in them. He doesn't boast about them. Quite the opposite, he says, I don't need any of this. None of these things help me at all. What has he given them up for? That he may gain Christ. Everything he based his confidence on. We talk a lot about confidence, about being a confident person. And most people say what you need is self-confidence. No. Self-confidence won't help you at all. Because I want to tell you something. You can be quite excellent in yourself, so you think. But other people are competing with you, and they're going to take you down. For example, let me give you an illustration of me being a very self-confident young man when I played baseball. Baseball, I was 14, 15 years old, and I batted five times in a ball game. And out of those five at-bats, I got four hits. Four hits, a home run, a triple, a double, a single. Fifth time, struck out. 
Okay, so we won the game, and I was pretty excited about the night I had, and I went home, and I walked in the door, and there was my dad, and I expected him to celebrate with me how wonderful I played. Do you know what my father said to me? You know what happened when you struck out, son? He didn't mention the home run. He didn't mention the triple, the double, the single. He just said, you know what happened when you struck out? And my little blown-up, big, ego, fat head all the air was suddenly let out. He said, because you jerked your head out looking to see where the ball was going instead of keeping your eye on the ball. And he jumped all over me about that. And I thought, well, I'll just have to find somewhere else to go to celebrate because I can see <laughs> that you're not really interested in rah-rahing with me. And he wasn't. And it was probably the right thing to do as I think about it nowadays. Anyway, boasting and believing, that is saving faith, are opposites. You cannot do both. The principle of faith excludes boasting. Romans 3.27 says, Because faith understands that there is nothing we do that ever justifies us. Verse 28. If, you are to if we receive Jesus, we give up a lifestyle of boasting. This is more challenging often than it first appears. Paul is saying that we must give up all our sense of identity, all our sense of security, and all our grounds of dignity and self-worth and exclude them. Why? Because a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. And so... The gospel is antithetical to the mindset of boasting. And we may say to ourselves, well, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a good father. I'm a better father than the father I had. Or I'm a good mother, and I've devoted myself to my family and my children. Or you may say, well, I'm really a good employee. I work far more hours than is asked of me. Look at my uh, work. Look at my moral record. I'm a good person. I'm deserving of respect and praise because of that. And so sometimes God says to us, no, don't ever do that. And every soul in every heart looks at something and says, this is why I matter. This is why I count. This is why I'm worthy of applause. This is why I should be honored. This is why I should be respected. When you ground your identity in what you have done for yourself, hardworking, if you're a hardworking person, here's what's going to happen. You're going to disdain lazy people. You have to if you're grounding your identity in being a hard worker. If you're of, of a particular ethnic group, and you demonize others as inferior, you have to if that's your identity. And if you're a political person, you have a particular political party or persuasion that is your cause, then you have to demonize and victimize and marginalize everybody who's not part of your political party. I once went to a service in which a number of men gave their testimonies during the service, their personal testimonies. And so the first one got up, and he talked about how bad a sinner he was and how grateful he was that Christ saved him. The second guy got up, he thinks he's a sinner. Let me tell you how big a sinner I am. 
after five people, it was a contest to see who was the most sinful. They were boasting in their what? Sinfulness. So, boasting is a tricky, tricky thing. When you uh, uh, ground your identity in that, um, you can end up being proud of sin. You can end up being self-righteous. Or you can look at self-righteous people and boast that you aren't self-righteous. Or you can boast that you don't boast. Or you can boast that you believe the gospel. Or you can boast in grace and all those poor people who don't get it and don't understand it. It can puff you up and make you think you're exceptional. Some of us boast in our reformed position. And it's a wonderful position and the right position in my opinion. And it's a great thing, but it isn't your righteousness. It isn't your identity. It isn't who you are. It isn't what you do. It isn't because you are this, you're better than someone else or more spiritual than someone else. No. A thousand times, no. Now, do I mean you should chunk all that? No, I'm not saying that. But if you boast in it, if it becomes why you think you are somebody, that you matter and that you have worth, that's where it gets dangerous. And so, let's talk a little bit further about the concept that we're entertaining here. We have to understand that God is a God who has made righteousness available, verse 28, to both Jews and Gentiles. He is the justifying God to whom both the circumcised, the religious people, and the uncircumcised, the irreligious people, need to turn in faith. We only exclude boasting when we realize that our best achievements have nothing to do with justifying us. To boast in them is like a drowning man clutching in his hand a fistful of $100 bills and shouting, I'm okay, I got money. That's how empty it is. If you understand the gospel of righteousness received, you will never boast. Or rather, you will never boast in yourself, but you will boast only in someone who is not you and exclusively about something you did not do, Christ and Him crucified. Paul tells us in the sixth chapter of the book of Galatians, he says this, God forbid that I should glory, save or boast. Glory and boast, same thing. God forbid that I should glory, accept, or save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me, and I am crucified to the world. You know what a real Christian that has really believed the gospel, that has really stopped relying on other things to build his or her identity, do you know when it really takes, when it really gets to you, when you don't care? What the world says is wonderful or great, and you should be like this, and you, if you want to be in, if you want to be hip happening, if you want to be somebody to be admired, then these are the things the world says you must 
excel in, you must achieve, you must do, you must demonstrate yourself, you must prove yourself. And when a person sees the cross of Jesus Christ and understands what Christ has done and has shifted his reliance away from himself to Christ, who cares what the world says to me? I don't care. Don't tell me how I have to speak of people and all these little rules, this new legalism that's come up regarding identities and that I have to respect. I don't care about that. I don't even care. It's not only the world's been crucified to me, but I've been crucified to the world. I don't look to the world for applause. I don't look for the world to give me approbation or approval or accolades. I don't care about that. Why? Because there's something far better. Now, in a minute, I'm going to do a big left turn. It might surprise some of you. Is it wrong for us to want to be approved of? Is it wrong for us to want to receive applause? Is it wrong for us to want to be attractive? Is it wrong for us only if you boast in it? But let me tell you a big secret. The world will never give it to you. Let's talk about it a little bit further by way of application. Once our boasting is transferred from ourselves to our Savior, because everyone will always boast and draw confidence and hope from something, the object of their faith, if you know that you're saved by Christ's works alone, you have great confidence, but it's not self-confidence in your own works. Rather, it is Christ's confidence in his death. You face the day, the day of your death, and you say to the world, I have Christ. His death means that when God looks at me, he sees his beautiful child. The psalmist says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Paul says the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be received when we consider the glory that we will have in Christ. We are joint heirs with Jesus. I want to tell you something that will absolutely blew my heart, mind, and soul this week is that I realized in heaven I will receive, as it were, Accolades. I will receive praise. I will receive a standing ovation. I will be lauded and honored. Why? Because I'm sharing in the glory of Christ and I'm united to Him and whatever happens to Him happens to me. And that is the only place you can get confidence. That is the only place you can boast and it pay off for us. That stabilizes us because in the human heart there are those desires corrupted as it were by sin. But in sanctification we're delivered and when glorified we will be made much of because we're in our Savior. We're united to Him. We are His beautiful bride. He loves us. He treasures us. He sings over us. He rejoices over us. And your heart's hungry for that. But you'll never get it in this world. And you'll never get it by yourself. You have to have faith. <clears throat> you have to look outside yourself. I'm almost 70 years old and I just learned that. Okay? How come I didn't know that when I was 20? Someday I want to ask 
But I think once I see the beauty and glory of Jesus, I'll just shut my mouth. And I will say, how in the world could people have ever crucified anybody as lovely and glorious and beautiful as Jesus? All my questions will disappear. Why? Because I've seen him, the Lord of glory, who I will share in his inheritance. Everything that is his becomes mine. It's a marriage. <laughs> and it's delightful. So, what does boasting cause? <clears throat> the boasting transfer from works to Christ changes us completely indeed. We can view most of the problems in society and individuals as the result of misplaced boasting. Here are three of them. First, human division. Pride in race, social status, or achievement necessarily leads to prejudice, condescension, and hostility. To get our confidence, we must see ourselves to be better than other classes of people. So the root of classism is boasting in myself. Secondly, denial. If our confidence comes from race and ethnicity, we will have to blind ourselves to the evils and flaws of my own people. This leads to racism, classism. If our confidence comes from our moral attainments, we have to blind ourselves to our sins and selfishness. And it makes us tremendously touchy when somebody criticizes our religion or moral character because our moral purity is the only strength and if we lose it, we lose everything. And so this concept of boasting is the undertone of the whole world and that's why we have wars and we have racism and we have classism. It's because we're boasting. We're boasting. We're taking credit. If our confidence comes from someone's love, a parent, a child, a spouse, a romantic partner, we will have to blind ourselves to the loved one's sin or any problems in the relationship. We will not be able to give tough love when needed. Some people say love is blind. After a little while, you begin to see. And that glorious, beautiful person that you met and married is flawed. They're not perfect. And here I am thinking I got perfection. And then I wake up and go, they're flawed. But what do I do with that? Uh, where do I get the confidence for tough love? Where do I get the boldness and humility to stand before them and confront them on things that are very damaging and hurtful. Well, if you're boasting in yourself, you'll never get it there. You'll never get it there. Never. And so, the gospel, or less, a third one, would be anxiety. When anything we boast in is threatened, our fundamental security is threatened, and we are vulnerable to great terror. 
The gospel creates a whole new mindset. The gospel creates a whole new paradigm, a whole new way of seeing, a whole new way of knowing and understanding reality and everything it is. We need a worldview that the major grid of our worldview is the reality of the gospel. We learn to look at everything in this world and everything in our lives and every person we know through the lenses of the gospel. That's what sanctification is, growing more and more into the gospel because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, not merely justification, but sanctification too. That's when God begins to deal with the disorders and change our boastful heart. Your mind is deeply satisfied with the doctrine of justification. You say, I see it. It's staggering. He accepts me. Because Jesus paid for all my flaws. What a wonder. You never get tired of thinking about it. You can never get enough of it. It's not dry doctrine where you simply understand things mechanistically. It is the wellspring of your soul and heart. And what a wonder it is to see it. It is a joy, it is a truth that makes your heart sing because it's about you, it's about your justification, it's about your freedom, it's about your confidence. The most confident people I know are people who are deeply rooted in Jesus and in the gospel, who've learned to look outside themselves and transfer their trust away from whatever virtues you think you may have or whatever qualities and qualifications you think you have and focusing on Jesus and him alone and that's where confidence that is bold but humble comes from that's sanctification that's growing in grace boy y'all are listening so slow today I'm only going to get about half through but that's why we have next Sunday right now, we have a new freedom from denial. The gospel gives us a grounding so that criticism, bad news, negative evaluations can now be handled. Bad news and abject failure no longer threaten your confidence. I remember when I pre planted this church in 1988, this church in 1988, started in my living room. And I remember I got involved with uh, some other people, pretty good-sized group, who was, uh, was basically a women's Bible study. And for some reason, uh, they did not trust me. They had never heard of the PCA. We were just strange to them. And so I tried to gradually, over time, reveal. But to make a long story short, they got mad. They left. And I remember sitting in my room, totally devastated, kind of sucking on my thumb in the darkness. I was leveled. And then I realized, you know what? Your confidence is based on people coming to church and accepting you and liking you and thinking your preaching is good. What's the difference in that and what the pagans do? Nothing. My confidence has to be in my Savior because then it is inviolable. It is indestructible. And once I care for him, as Paul says, you judge me, I don't care. I don't even judge myself. 
The only one that judges has already rendered his verdict. The jury has already come in and he tells me I am his and he is mine and I stand forever under his favor. I have the most beautiful robe of righteousness I wear every single day. And nobody can take that away from me. Nobody can destroy that. Nobody can violate that. And that is a grounding we get in the gospel. Because we don't boast in anything but the cross. The more you see your faults, the more you see your failures, the more amazing and precious God's love appears, and the more loved by Him you feel. The more you get to know Jesus, the more you'll see your sin. And the more you see your sin, the more you'll get to know Jesus. That's how it works in a gospel paradigm or a gospel way of living and understanding. And for the first time in your life, since you know you're accepted in the beloved, since you know that nobody can ever take him away from you, that when sin is exposed, it doesn't devastate you anymore. You have the moral courage and ability to see the fact that you ain't all that. And you're looking at a person who thought he was all that. And it takes a while. I still do sometimes drift into it. And uh, God hates that. And when I see it, I hate it in me. But the gospel liberates. It gives us such freedom, such joy. This is a critical test. If fundamentally you reject the whole idea of the cross and Jesus as your sin-bearing substitute... If deep down you really think your worthiness and acceptability hang on your performance, then when your sin is revealed, it drives you away from God instead of making you feel closer to God. You truly get the gospel, you see your sin, you don't run away from Jesus, you run to Jesus. You're not afraid of Him, He's your elder brother. That may not, might be bad for some of you. You might have had a bad elder brother. But he's the elder brother that the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal and the elder brother should have been but never was. And that's where our confidence comes from. A new freedom from anxiety. Slowly, we become more courageous. We're not afraid of death or the future or other people. You come to know that God is for you. You know that he who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all, how shall he not freely, graciously give us all things? So you place your worst fears into his hands and you leave them there. You face difficulty and danger by saying, he is for me so I can face death. What are you going to do to me? Kill me? That's just a promotion. That's just leaving this sin-sick world and this sin-sick body and this sin-sick everything and being ushered into glory. Hallelujah. Boast in Yahweh. Boast in the Lord. There is a sense in which the gospel gives you what nothing else can give you. And our ridiculousness is trying to Accomplish that apart from him. Now, it doesn't mean you don't desire to be a good mother. You don't desire to be a good father. Don't run that way. 
It just means that doesn't define you. You're not obsessed with it. It doesn't come to your mind every waking moment. When you have free time and you have the opportunity to think unhindered, where does your mind go? It usually goes to whatever is your functional Savior. And hopefully it's Jesus, but often it's not. And so we can repent of that. We can say, Lord, I see it. And I will forever be like this if you don't deliver me. You don't change me. I will always be this person. Now, you're asking for it when you do that. Because he'll, he'll answer that prayer. But we're free from anxiety. We're free from fear. We're free from death and the fear of death. He wouldn't go to all this trouble to save me and not provide for me what I really need. When death comes, you take the Lord Jesus' dying words joyfully into your own lips. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So boasting is antithetical to faith. What is saving faith? Saving faith is coming to the end of all of your self-salvation strategies. You see, you may not be a religious person. You may not be a person who ever reads the Bible. You just came because you thought it was a good idea uh, to get out of the heat, or you're here because somebody invited you and brought you wonderful, but you think that religious stuff is not for me, that Bible stuff is not for me, you still do it. You still boast. You may be boasting in the fact that you're not religious. You cannot escape it. Do you understand me? Unless you look outside of yourself and Velcro and lay hold of Jesus, you will do it, and it will destroy you. You'll be one messed up person. As a messed up person is speaking to you, the gospel has shown me that I'm a messed up person. Somebody one time told me I needed professional help. You know, that's really bad when somebody tells you that. I said, I got better than professional help. I got Jesus. And that's better than any professional help. Well, you have to come back next week to hear the really good part of the sermon. <laughs> Hopefully, you heard some of the good part. Boasting is excluded. Saving faith is simply the empty hand. John Calvin said, the hand is empty is a picture of faith because we have nothing to believe. And the only thing the hand can do in this relationship is receive the gift. You'll never be good enough for it. You'll never be worthy of it. You'll never be righteousness enough for it. It's a gift. It's grace. And anything you add to grace makes it works. I don't care what it is. But that's saving faith. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you so much for your word. There is so much packed into it. So much that speaks to us. So much that reveals and exposes and uncovers and cuts through our denials and shows us 
We're beggars, but your word shows us where the bread is, the bread of life. Now, Father, as we continue to worship you, may we give as people who are absolutely hilarious and filled with joy over the unspeakable gift which we thank you for. In Jesus' name, amen.